Take your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians, if you will. 2 Thessalonians, at the beginning of summer, we had just finished going verse by verse through 1 Thessalonians. And so we're going to be beginning going into, on a Sunday evening, going verse by verse through the book of 2 Thessalonians. And usually by verse by verse, we're usually talking anywhere from 10 to a dozen, sometimes 15 verses, depending on the passage and on the subject that's in that chapter. But tonight we're going to spend all of our time on verse 1. And so you won't get a lot of scripture as far as going through 2 Thessalonians, but that's not my purpose tonight. My purpose is to lay the foundation for the book so that as we go through it, when different names are called and You'll be aware of the city, of its area, of its history, uh, of the Apostle Paul's ministry there. And you're also going to know some of Paul's co-laborers. Because we're going to find in verse 1 that he mentions them. And that's always interesting. Now, as he mentions his co-laborers, you're going to hear that and say, uh, yeah, pastor, you, you don't have to preach a whole sermon on that. I already know who Timothy is. I already know who Silas is. Well, most of us might say that, but if I said, okay, that's wonderful. Tell me something about the life of Timothy. Well, he's in the Bible. Okay. Yeah, I know. I understand that. But you might be lacking details about his life. You may be able to say, well, yeah, he was a preacher boy for Paul. Well, that's good. What else? Uh, what's his grandmother's name and his mother's name? Well, yeah, I, I, I know who those are. Yeah, okay. Uh, uh, where was he born? Well, I'm just saying, we do not know them as well as we think we know them. And so I'm going to just give background information as we look at the city, as we look at the uh, author of this book, as we look at the co-workers of the Apostle Paul. And my hope is we're just setting the stage for the rest of the book. Now, the Apostle Paul had gone through Thessalonica, and he spent three weeks there. At least we know he preached three Sabbath days. Now, there are those who will say, well, he spent more time than that. It just records that he spent three Sabbaths day there. Uh, I don't know. I'm a little hesitant for adding things the Bible did not add. And so if the Bible doesn't specifically say that, uh, I'm not so sure I'm going to trust a commentator as he was probably there for several months. Well, if that's true, it's nowhere found in Scripture. So let's just stick with what we know. He spent three Sabbath days there, and then because of persecution, he had to flee. And then he went to Berea, and then the Christians of Thessalonica, of course, went after him, caused trouble there as well. And so we are going to see more interesting things about this city and about its area. But as our custom is, we stand to read God's Word, even though it's a short stand. Let's all stand, if you will, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 1. Now, to make it uh, 
as long as 12 verses, I'm going to have to read it really slow. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just going to have to pray a whole lot longer. So one or the other here. But anyway, let's look at it. Paul and Silvanius and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians in God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, as we look at this passage of Scripture, I pray the Holy Spirit of God would speak to our hearts. And Lord, as we learn about the names and the place that are mentioned in this one verse, I pray to Father, it's not just for head knowledge. I pray that having learned this, that every time we look at the Word of God and come across the message to the Thessalonians or the city of Thessalonica or Paul or Silvanus and Timotheus, Father, I pray that you will allow this knowledge to come back into our mind and into our heart, that we might know what the Word of God says about some of the chief characters in the Word of God. Lord, we love you and we want you and your Holy Spirit to minister in all of our hearts. And I pray you'll do that, dear Father. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. So the year is 54 A.D., 54 A.D., and of course, uh, Jesus was born around uh, zero or uh, anywhere from one to three. Uh, there's always a great debate. Was he born right at zero or was he born in the first, second, third? Uh, we do know that uh, our calendar goes, is based on the death of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So the debate is not that. The debate is whether they got it right according to history, because remember, it'd be many years later that they would make a calendar that accurately uh, told about Jesus. So uh, B.C. is before his birth and A.D. is after his birth. But in 54 A.D., Paul uh, was again writing to the church of the Thessalonians to the city of Thessalonica. Now, if Jesus ministered for 33 and a half years and then was crucified, then that puts us roughly 20 years later, the Apostle Paul has already begun his missionary journey. He comes, in fact, to this city on his second missionary journey. But most scholars will say that this is the first epistle letter that the Apostle Paul writes to a church of which many are found in the New Testament and part of the canon inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. So keep in mind as he writes to this church, he is writing to our church as well and to all churches all around the world, whether they're in the U.S., whether they're in Oregon, whether they're in Bulgaria, whether they're anywhere in the world, the Word of God is not just addressing one church back in history. Because it's included in the Word of God, it is uh, for every church and for every Christian. And so God has a message for us. And so it does help us to sort of know uh, what 
city it was written, what was their problems? Because you're going to find that the problems they have are very similar to the problems that churches have anywhere, everywhere. Man has not changed his nature. And so the Word of God addresses the needs that you and I as believers have. And so he has found out that because uh, he writes this letter in response because someone has been posing as the Apostle Paul and wrote a letter to them as though it came to him. Uh, uh, Chapter 2, verse 2 is going to deal with that. Let me just read that verse. And that ye not be soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as that day of Christ is at hand. So somebody had pinned the Apostle Paul's name on a letter that said, you better better be careful, because Jesus is coming back Very, very quickly, not just imminent that he could come at any time, but he is coming very, very soon. So in other words, date setting for the return of Christ is not a new thing, right? Uh, People say, oh, 1984, you know, he's coming. Oh, 1990, you know. Oh, 9-11, oh, you know. Or 2000, when you get into 2000 into 2001, all the computers, all the money, all the, everything is going to fold. Interesting, the next day, nobody said anything. It just, it was just another day. Uh, so people have dates, and that's fine. God's people are always to live as though the coming of the Lord could be today, but live as though he may extend his return so that we might be pleasing to him. And so the message of this book is literally, keep working till Jesus comes. Okay, so that's the message. But it's interesting that he writes them very quickly to state this. Somebody wrote this in my name and it's not me. Now, as a result of that, you're going to find that in the other epistles of the Apostle Paul, many different times he's going to say, you see that this is official, and and I'm paraphrasing all this, you see that this is official because I've written the salutation with my hand. And they knew if a letter came from Paul because they knew his writing. Now, as we'll get into what I'm sharing tonight, you're going to find that it was not, um, or it was a common practice for the apostles and those who wrote books of the Bible to use secretaries. They had other men that were learned in language and different things, and they would be those who would write that down. Uh, for instance, you know Peter, James, and John. In the book of Acts, it says, we know that they are unlearned and ignorant men. But we took note that they had been with Jesus. And of course, being with Jesus is what makes all the difference in our life anyway, right? It's not our education. It's spending time with our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So it was common for them to use other uh, people who uh, were very knowledgeable in the language of the Greeks so that they could properly 
convey what the Holy Spirit of God had told the author to write. Now we see that in the Old Testament too. Uh, In Jeremiah, he refers to his servant who pinned down uh, the prophecies that came to Jeremiah by God. So Jeremiah would in essence dictate those to his uh, uh, co-worker who would pin them down. And you remember he was asked by the king, how did he do that? And he said, he told me and he pronounced every word. Well, that's interesting because the only reason you do that is to make it exactly as God gave it to him. And that's exactly what we have in our hand, the very word of God. It wasn't God given to man and man writes down his thoughts that's close to what God said. No, he's writing down exactly what gave him. So, This is one of the few times where Paul writes a second letter, and most would say he wrote it probably the very same year in 54 AD that he wrote 1 Thessalonians. So he spent those three weeks, he founded a church, he went to Corinth, and Corinth is where he stayed several years, you recall, and he writes back to the church at Thessalonica, to the Thessalonians, the people of that area. And he gives five chapters in 1 Thessalonians, and it's full of doctrine because he's trying to ground them in the Word of God. But having done that, he sent Timothy, go check on him. He comes back and say, you know, we got a problem because some are giving some false information in your name. Well, very quickly, he writes back a letter. That's 2 Thessalonians, and that's three chapters. And a lot of powerful truth will be found in those three chapters. Uh, The Bible says, Paul in Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 1. I want to look first of all at the three people that are mentioned here. He says, first of all, Paul. Now, of the three, most of us would know more about the Apostle Paul than we would about uh, Silas, who was called here Silvanus, and then Thamotheus. Let me just say, uh, the reason the Apostle Paul calls them that is that is their Latin name. And so you have uh, their Hebrew name uh, versus their Latin name, Silas and Timothy. And that's who we know them as, especially uh, Silas in the book of Acts and then Timothy in most of the epistles. Uh, It was a very uh, common name, and yet it was given in Latin. And of course, that's not unusual because Paul is a Roman, right? He's a Roman citizen. So that's the language of the Romans. Greek was the language of the empire Uh, that was taken out by the Romans, which was Greece and Greek. Uh, Paul, his birth name is actually Saul, and we know that, Saul of Tarsus. He was born in a Jewish family in the city of Tarsus. His birth, and he even says it's not a mean city, which is an old English expression of meaning it's not a small city. 
So Tarsus was a city of trade. It was a city of renown, uh, a city that would be known by the people in the civilization and the world in which that day. Uh, he was born into a Roman uh, a Jewish family in Tarsus, but his birth was in a Roman free city. And that was Tarsus. And anyone born in a free city became a free citizen of Rome. And so you recall on some, uh, tr- some of his travels, he addresses a military official and says, you know, how, how come you're a Roman? I paid a lot for this. And Paul says, well, I was freeborn. I was born in the empire and a city that was a part of the Roman Empire. So I'm a Roman citizen. And of course, because of that, they would let him and Silas go. Now, this was a particular privilege that he is willing to exercise later in his life. And it got him out of a few beatings. Sometimes only after he got a beating did he, was he able to say, you know, you just beat me uncondemned and I, I was a Roman citizen. Uh, from the best, he was trained in Jerusalem under the best rabbinical school in Jerusalem, and it was led by the well-known and famous respected Pharisee called Gamaliel. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel, and back in the day, Gamaliel was one of the top two teachers among the Jews, dealing with the Old Testament in dealing with the rabbinical or uh, uh, priesthood teaching. And so the Apostle Paul was very well trained. Some would say he would have the equivalent of two or three doctorates if we ourselves took that same training. Now Paul is 30 years old when he's official witness at the stoning of Stephen. He had a zeal for God's law and dedication to stopping the early spread of Christianity. His zeal knew no bounds. After seeing the life taken from Stephen, he leads the first great wave of persecution against the early church. On reflecting on his pre-conversion days, the Apostle Paul says the following in Galatians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. He says, For ye have heard of my conversation, that means manner of life, in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion among many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers." So he shares the fact that he was very zealous and he arrested a lot of Christians and his whole purpose was to do away with anyone who followed the Lord Jesus Christ, which he, as a Pharisee, saw as a false teaching. And not only a false teaching, you have to see that he understood. You see, the Messiah was the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, but it was also sort of the end. I mean, after the Messiah came, well, it dissolves all those traditions because Jesus came to preach the gospel of grace and forgiveness. How bad were the persecutions of Paul against the early New Testament church? 
His dedication to eradicating those believers in the teaching of Jesus led him to take bold action, such as going from house to house in order to find believers. Can you imagine that? Going house to house to house, not to share the gospel. You do that later, right? But to persecute, to find out if they are believers and then to arrest them and take them in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, the Bible says, And Saul was consenting consenting upon his death. This is at the death and stoning of Stephen. And at the same time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Now, that's what he was doing in Jerusalem. But that persecution allowed the Christians to scatter into Judea and Samaria. Keep in mind, there was persecution in Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 8. God had a purpose even in allowing persecution. Had he not done that, all the Christians would have stayed around Jerusalem and just enjoyed the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. And it would have been a grand view. Just being there, going to church... Now, if I was a Presbyterian, I'd say the first Presbyterian, but you know, I'm a Baptist, so uh, allow me that liberty. But the thing is, it was a great church. Some would say there was as many as 100,000 believers in Jerusalem in the first six months of Christianity. It just exploded. But the great commission is not to win a city. That's why I love to hear the story of going house to house in Bulgaria, because the great commission is not to win a city or a state or an area, the gospel commission is to reach the world. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And so that's our mission. Even if we're in Beaver Creek, which is not even a city but a hamlet, it's still our commission to reach everywhere in the world. Now certainly, we might not be able to do it ourselves, but that's why our goal should always to be support a missionary in every continent, in every country of the world. And of course, we expect every one of them to knock on every door and talk to every person, no matter how many millions and millions and millions of people are. No, I'm, I'm kidding. But praise God for what's going on in Bulgaria. But they are to do their best to get the gospel out. And some countries are so big, we need many different missionaries there. After his efforts to stop the spread of early Christian belief in Jerusalem, he sets his sights on achieving even more audacious goals of removing any Christian influence in the synagogues of Damascus. So why would he go to Damascus? It's because the Christians were fleeing. And so I'm going to go where they went. And I'm, I got letters. I got this authority from the high priest. 
I'm going to go to other cities and I'm going to stamp out Christianity. The problem is every time you stamp it out, it just spreads a little further. And he kept trying to stamp it out, stamp it out, stamp it out. Little did he know that God would use him to help it spread a little faster. And God used him before he got saved to spread Christians out. And God used him after he got saved to have more Gentiles come to faith in Jesus Christ. During his trip to Damascus, a pivotal event took place. And that is when the Lord met him on the road to Damascus. There's where he saw the bright light from heaven. There's where he heard the voice of Jesus. And in Acts chapter 9, verse 4, it says, And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecuteth thou me? So God strikes, excuse me, God strikes him blind and he's blind for three days. And then the prophet comes and tells him that God has a new mission. He is led to Christ. He's filled with the Holy Spirit of God and he's given his sight back. Now, can you imagine what your life would be if your conversion experience involved God showing up in your living room, speaking to you audibly, a bright light fills the room, and when it fades away, you cannot see, and yet God has talked to you, and the voice of Jesus emphatically is asking you why you're against him. And then a prophet shows up a few days later at your house and says, by the way, there's more to this message. God has says, you're a special vessel. God's going to use you in a special way to declare his son. And you are going to get your sight back and you're going to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And that happens. I am saying that's why the Apostle Paul was such a bold witness. His whole life was seemingly over, and yet God changed it, filled him with the Holy Spirit of God, saved him, and commissioned him personally. And so he became the greatest missionary for the cause of Christ because of his salvation experience. And so what a powerful conversion. His ministry lasts for 35 years until his death in Rome at 66 years of age. His accomplishments are outstanding considering the rudimentary by today's standard level, a level of transportation and other difficulties that existed in the first century. And yet, he's sharing the gospel to the best of his ability to the known world. He just wants to tell everyone about Jesus. If you read one of the epistles we preached through last year, you're going to find that his goal was to go to Spain. 
And Spain was the outer regions, way beyond Rome, Italy, going beyond Italy into Spain. He wanted to take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the world. And certainly God used him in amazing ways to do that. Important events and accomplishments in his life include his witnessing of the stoning of Stephen. He is personally taught by Jesus as he spends three years in Arabia, not being taught by the apostles, but being taught by the Lord himself. During his ministry, he resurrects at least one person from the dead. You know, a Baptist preacher tends to preach a little long and a guy fell out a third story window. That's what you get for going to sleep. We try to give you padded pews, so if you do, you don't hurt yourself. You just fall over and that's fine. But he brought him back to life and most scholars would say that just the reading of the word of God, God resurrected him back when he was stoned to death at Lystra. He said, whether I was in the spirit, out of the spirit, I don't know. But I do know that they supposed him to be dead. Now, if someone supposes you to be dead, it's like, he's not breathing. He's not moving. He's not twitching. Kick him a little, brother. He did. No response. I think he's dead. They believed he was dead. And yet, while they stood around him, he just eyes popped back open and says, well, that was interesting. (laughs) And he's back in life again. He went up to the third heaven and he didn't know if he was dead or alive, but at least they thought he was. Uh, So he was resurrected himself because God was not through with him. Uh, He resurrects after being stoned to death. Paul carries out at least five evangelistic journeys. We know of three missionary journeys, but most will say while he was in Rome, he took at least two other journeys. He didn't go all the way back to Jerusalem, of course, but he traveled around sharing the gospel as well. He visits more than 50 cities in his travels and preaches the gospel to Caesar and his entire household. God used him. He wrote no more than 14, no less than 14 uh, epistles, and of course that's counting Hebrew, Hebrews, and some people say, well, I, I don't know that Paul wrote Hebrews, but as we preach through the book of Hebrews, remember we said that all the early church fathers accredited it to Paul as writing the book of Hebrews. Now, I'm just guessing they would know better than some scholar, you know, 1400, 15, 16, 1900 years later, All the early church fathers said Paul was the author of Hebrews, and that was well known in their time. Uh, He preaches uh, with other preachers like John Mark and Timothy. He trains other evangelists and endures a total of more than five years in prison if you add all the time together. Here's a man who suffered for the cause of Christ. By the way, remember when God commissioned him? God also told him, I'm going to show you what great things you're going to suffer for the cause of Christ. And he did. And he's going to share all the things that happened to him to the church at Corinth. 
The Apostle Paul, whose life was cut short by the Romans in 68 AD, is easily the most influential Christian in the New Testament, short of Jesus himself. That's the Apostle Paul. One name down, two more to go. Silvanius. Silvanius and Timothy united with Paul in the sending this epistle to the Thessalonians. Silvanus is the Latin spelling of Silas. So Silvanus is the same as the Silas of the book of Acts. Silvanus served both great missionaries of the first century. He served the apostle Paul, the great apostle to the Gentiles. He also served Peter, the apostle to the Jews. Silvanus was a secretary. There's a fancy word for it, but... I would murder that, so I'll just say it means secretary. He was the one who would write down the letters. According to 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 12, where Peter acknowledges him as being the writer, uh, although God used Peter to give the word. Here is an anonymous Christian who did not take the credit to himself, but faithfully did his job as unto the Lord. There's not one word recorded in Scripture that comes from his lips. But he didn't need that. Because he saw his mission to serve men of God. Men of God. Years ago I heard God either calls you to be a preacher or to help one. In missions conference, I've heard it said differently, God calls you to be a missionary or help one. So I guess it all depends on which service you're in, either a pastor. But anyway, God either calls you into full-time Christian ministry or he calls you to be a helper of those he's called into full-time ministry. Remember in the Old Testament, God chose the Levites to be his 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 children to serve him in the tabernacle, but the rest of Israel, what was their mission? The rest of their mission was to serve the Levites and the priests and the families called by God to serve in the tabernacle. That's why they gave their tithes and offerings was not just as unto the Lord, but to be a help to God's men and women and children who are called in ministry. May I say here at Grandview Baptist Church, we have a lot of people who labor here in full-time Christian ministry, and we try our very best to be as generous as we possibly can. How many understand that this year inflation has hit hard in America? Anybody realize that? (laughs) We have tried our best to adjust the salaries more than once so that our people serving God are not hurt. When the gas went from like $3 to $5, we gave every employee full-time a $150 gas card just to help them with their fuel. And that means we gave out about 50 or more of those As a church, as a pastor, I expect God to take care of my needs. But as a pastor, I expect God 
expects me to take care of the good people who serve here in the ministry of Grandview Baptist Church. And I want to say I've tried my best to do that with the funds that God has allowed. And if anyone wants to be a special blessing to the rest of them, please let me know. (laughs) We have on occasion had a member who said, I want to be a blessing and give every person on staff an extra $100. And you're talking about thousands of dollars and they just wrote a check for it. And we just added that to their Christmas bonus or just gave it out to them. I'm just saying you're either called to be in ministry or you're called to help someone called in ministry. Silvanus was someone just like that. Silas was a humble man. He was a prophet from Jerusalem church. The church dispatched him along with Paul and Barnabas to take the decree found in Acts chapter 15 from Jerusalem conference to the church in Antioch. And the great conference decided they were saved by grace through faith plus nothing minus nothing. Of course, the Jews did have four things they asked you not to do. Don't drink blood. I'm glad they told me. I just had a desire to drink a cup of it lately, but, but I'm going to honor God's word. Don't strangle your sacrifice or whatever you're going to eat. Don't strangle it because the blood stays in it when you do that. Uh, you got to bleed it out. Um, stay away from fornication. Well, the Apostle Paul does preach on that a whole lot, and that's a a biblical thing to be pure and to be moral and honor uh, the marriage bond. So that's it. And then uh, don't eat meat that's offered to idols. Now, next time you're at the store, go to the butcher and say, could I ask you a question? Has any of this been offered to an idol? And just look at the response on his face. (laughs) Probably not. And he might not even appreciate the question. At Antioch, Paul and Barnabas quarreled over Mark because Mark defected from the first missionary journey. Mark was a relative of Barnabas, we know. He divided over this. Paul refused to take uh, Mark on the next missionary journey, the second one. Paul chooses Silvanus to accompany him on the missionary expedition to Asia Minor and ultimately to Macedonia and Achaia. Now Barnabas chose Mark to go with him. We do not hear of Mark again in the book of Acts. Later we will hear that Paul says, bring Mark with me for he's profitable to me for the ministry. Remember in the Christian walk, one strike and you're not out. In fact, three strikes and you're not out because uh, Peter cursed God and denied him, Jesus, three times. So you're still not out. I'm so glad the just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. God uses us. Barnabas chose Mark to go with him. An opportunity of of lifetime came to Silas then because he was available for God to use him. So let me ask you, are you available Years ago, when I was a young man, preachers used to say this all the time. Uh, it's not your ability that God needs. It's your availability. Amen. 
Now, I haven't heard that phrase probably in 30 years, unless I've said it. But it's not your ability that God needs. It's your availability. You've got to say, here am I, send me. Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. Are you available? And that's true whether you're a young Christian or an old Christian. Are you available? Silas was just that. He was available. He was the right person at the right time, but had he not been available, none of that would have mattered. But he was the right person at the right time because he was available to be used of God however God wanted to use his life. And may I say, Christian, as long as we are available, whatever you lack, whatever we lack, God can easily make the difference up. He has everything. He doesn't want to be a co-laborer with you because you have all this wonderful asset to bring to the table. All we are is sinners saved by His grace. But if we can simply be available, say, Lord, I don't know if it's even possible, but if you could use me, here's my life. I was talking to Mike and Heidi. I said, look, you're, set, you're on the third row. Usually you're on the eighth row. I said, if you keep coming up, you're going to be behind here preaching. And here's what he said, maybe so. But let me say, that's the people God speaks to. God gravitates people to himself that are available. And God uses them. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing to see God do that in the life. He was an important figure in the churches in Macedonia. In Acts chapter 18, verse 8, it suggests he may have remained in Macedonia when Paul left. His early connections with the church in Jerusalem were helpful in giving added theological legitimacy to Paul's missionary enterprises. Remember, Paul was trained in Jerusalem, but he was not taught of the apostles in Jerusalem, but Silas was. So he had all those religious connections. So when he went with Paul, even though Paul was a missionary to the Gentiles, every time they would meet Jews, Paul had the head knowledge, but Silas had the knowledge of the apostles and the early church in Jerusalem. So he was a source of authority to all the Jews that they would meet. And so they would listen to Paul because he had with him Silas. See how God has a way of pairing things and making things work. And so what Paul lacked, he gets with Silas and they work together as a team. Uh, Paul introduces Silas in his introductions to some of his epistles. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, uh, 2 Thessalonians verses 1 and 2, uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19. Um, in all of these, except in Corinthians, the reference to the writing of these epistles, he was the secretary. So Paul will say that Silas wrote this for him and sent it out. The fact that Silas worked closely with both Paul and Peter shows the theological closeness of Paul and Peter. 
Whereas some would say, no, they were different. No, they had the same theology, but the Holy Spirit went through them and shared with them different ways to share it. So some would fully understand the gospel of salvation by faith. They were not at odds with each other. And the very fact that Silas was used to be the secretary of the apostle Paul, and then when Paul was in prison in Rome, then Silas became the secretary to Peter, who wrote First and Second Peter. And so he was used of God to pin down those words. And those tell us, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 11 through 18, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 21 through 23, Colossians chapter 4, verse 18, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 17, 18. All of those will acknowledge that God gave the words to Paul, but someone else wrote them down on paper. And God used many different people. And, and that's why, as laymen, we want to help men and women that are called of God into full-time Christian service, because they don't have time to do everything. They don't have an expertise on everything. They need help. And that's where you come in. God has uniquely gifted you in some area that some man or woman called of God in full-time Christian service, whether it be Christian teacher or a missionary or pastor, you have some expertise they don't have. Brother Malucci probably doesn't know how to run a web press. But praise God, some other people knew. And so they were able to put those John and Romans together. Uh, and he probably doesn't have the time to translate the New Testament or the book of John and Romans into Bulgarian, if that's the way you call the language, Bulgarian, but someone else did. See, you gotta, God's gifted every single one. Well, I'm not the pastor. I know, but God's gifted you to help someone. God's given you gifts and talents, and together we can do a great work for God if we'll help each other. The scripture doesn't record any word from Silas. This affirms the importance of subordinate work. One little chip in a computer can cause the whole computer to stop operating. Little things are important. Little things are indispensable to ministry. And no doubt many people on earth are honored for how they're used of God... But keep in mind, what's said on earth is not what's important. It's that well done, thy good and faithful servant. And you don't have to be a pastor and you don't have to be a missionary. You just have to be available and serve as God calls you and taps you on the shoulder and lets you know. Be used of God. God has great rewards for you. Well, we come to Timotheus, and I see that I'm going to have to go very, very quickly. Uh, I hope some of this is interesting to you as it is all to me. Uh, he was a native of Lystra. And of course, Lystra, you know, is where Paul got stoned and was left for dead and resurrected. 
And so it was in that city that Timothy was raised up. And most would say, as a young child, as the Word of God tells us about his mother and his grandmother, that he was led to faith as a child. And that would be on the first missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. When his second missionary journey takes place, he's going to find that about 10 or 12 years have transpassed, and now Timothy is a young man. And he's grounded in the Word of God. And keep in mind, all they have is the Old Testament, but he's grounded in the Word of God from a Masonic, uh, Masonic, not Masonic, but Messiah, because they understand it all speaks of Jesus. And so his grandmother and his mother had taught him Jesus from the Old Testament. There were no epistles written yet. But by word of mouth, they've heard about Jesus in the gospel, and he is trained in everything that his mother's ears have heard and his grandmother's ears have heard. They taught him. They poured their life and the gospel into their child. And boy, that's a great admonition to all of us. Pour the gospel and the word of God into our children. We want that to happen. He's referred to 28 times in Scripture, Timotheus, nine times using his well-known name, Timothy, and 19 times as Timotheus, which is Latin. One church tradition suggests he was born about 17 A.D. His mother was a Jewish named Eunice, and later, however, he became a Jewish Christian his father was a Greek, Gentile. His grandmother, Timothy, on his mother's side was Lois. She too became a Christian. Both of them were converted during Paul's first missionary journey. Now, according to Paul, Timothy was taught about the scripture when he was a child. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. Note that the Old Testament, which many, many today say, oh yeah, we don't need the Old Testament. Uh, wait a minute, that was the foundation of the gospel. We need, we need every word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out the mouth of God. And it's interesting, that's first said in the Old Testament, then repeated in the New Testament. So if you have any doubt, every word in the Old Testament and every word in the New Testament is what you and I are to live by. The whole Bible. At the time Paul met Timothy, they were roughly 48, and some would say in his early 30s perhaps, respectively, based on the recommendation of several church members, both in the city and in Iconium, Paul decides to take the young man with him as he travels preaching the gospel. That's found in Acts chapter 16, verses 2 and 3. Before this can happen, he has him circumcised because he's going to be ministering to Jews wherever he goes and then to Gentiles. And he was born of a Jewish family. So they're fulfilling the law so that the Judaizers have no ammunition against them. The Bible records after Timothy was ordained to serve by Paul and the church brethren. That's in uh, 1 Timothy 4.14, 2 Timothy 1.6. He ministers in at least five New Testament churches. Timothy accompanied Paul on most of his second missionary travels after he left Lystra. 
He was with the apostle in Ephesus during his third missionary journey. He and a man named Erastus are sent by Paul to minister to the brethren in Macedonia. Later on, he meets with others in Troas to accompany the apostle through Asia on his way to Jerusalem. Paul is imprisoned in Rome in 61 AD at the end of his fourth missionary journey. Uh, while he was in prison, he writes four epistles, three of which mention Timothy is with him. At the end of his fifth and final journey, uh, not missionary journey, but journey, while in Rome a second time just before his death, he requests his closest friend and bring him personal copies of his writings. And Paul testifies in Philippi regarding the unique Christian character of Timothy And I'm going to close with this. Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22, the Apostle Paul's talking about Timothy. And keep in mind that Philippi is in the area called Macedonia. And we know from 2 Corinthians, this was a poor area. These are poor Christians. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may have, be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things that are the Lord Jesus, or that are Jesus Christ. But ye know the proof of him, that as a son with a father, he hath served me, in the gospel. Wow. What a wonderful opportunity. Some of the apostles got to sit at the feet of Jesus. Mary and Martha got to do that. Mary especially sat at the feet of Jesus. But what a wonderful opportunity for a young man excited about serving God, sitting at the feet of Paul, the apostle. That God would write used to write over half the New Testament. Now, lest we say, well, yeah, but we'll never have that opportunity. And and you're right, we won't. Because the Bible is finished. But may I say, if you're available, there's no telling but how God could use your little old life my little old life. I was 17 when God called me to preach. In my heart and in my mind, I had absolutely nothing to offer God. I was afraid to stand before people. I was so timid and shy. As a child, I would blush when I had to say here when the teacher called roll. But it's amazing what God can do when you put your little life in his great big hand. And you're willing to be used any way he wants. It's just amazing. You might have been raised in an area and never really explored much. But when you put your life in God's hand... You'd be surprised how many continents of the world he might let you step foot on. 
how many cities around the world he might let you visit. Or he may keep you in this area, but it's amazing how he'll use your life to influence many, many others for Jesus. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Would you let God speak to your heart about what he wants to do in your life? What does God want to do in your life? And then can you ask this question, are you available? If God wanted to use you as a missionary, as a pastor, as a Sunday school teacher, if if God wanted to use you, are you available? Are you available? And that ought to be the heart's desire of every single one of us, not for greatness. That's never an ambition to embrace, but being available so that God could use us. Would you ask yourself that question? Would you answer it in the privacy of your own heart? Am I available? like Silas, like Timothy, to be used of the Lord. Heavenly Father, would you speak to all of our hearts? And Lord, these are great men of God we talked about tonight. But Lord, they're just flesh and blood like we are. And there had to be a time in their life where they said, Jesus, here I am, I'm available. And Lord, I pray that tonight you'd make all of us available. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Our altar's open tonight. If you want to come and pray and say, Lord, I'm available. I I just want to be used of you. And I know you can say that where you're at in your pew, but it may be that God wants to use you. Let God speak to your heart. Let God do something in your life. Are you available? God bless you. You may be seated. I hope we'll take that message to heart. We have Little Bear Bible Club coming out to to see Charlotte uh, or Charlie Bruton uh, follow the Lord in baptism. Uh, Her grandfather had the joy of sharing Jesus with her and and she prayed and trusted Christ as her Savior having understood the gospel uh, even though she's a child and so she's following the Lord in baptism. 
You know, when people get saved, people get baptized, that's a biblical matter. Uh, I talked about being available for God, and I just want to use this one illustration. Uh, When my father was 54 years of age, God called him to preach, to pastor, to pastor. 54 years of age. He pastored till he was 70. He went home to heaven when he was 80. What do you do at 54? Do you realize that all around this country there's little churches that can't get a pastor? And my father would take a church that ran 20, work hard and get it up to 80, and then turn it over to someone else and then go find another church of 20. And he did that like four or five different times throughout Arkansas and finally in Alabama. And I say all that to say, if you're here, you never know, it's never too late for God to use you in some capacity to be a blessing to other people. Because there's going to be a whole lot of churches that need a pastor. As people my age are retiring But there's going to be a lot of need for someone to pastor. And you don't have to be the greatest scholar around. If you love people and you love God, you'll make a wonderful minister. So just pray about that. Let's watch the next video and then we'll see Charlotte follow the Lord in baptism. There will be a church business meeting on Sunday, August 21st, following the 5 p.m. service. Join us as we vote to appoint two new deacons in our church. Awana will be starting back up Wednesday, September 7th. Every week, the children will get to play games and get prizes for completing workbooks and scripture memory. Throughout the year, there are fun theme nights where the kids can dress up according to the theme. Awana is for children two years old through fifth grade, and there is an annual club fee of $40 or $20 if the child already has a uniform. If you might be interested in helping in Awanas, please sign up at the welcome desk. There will be a paintball team activity on Monday, August 29th for the teens in the 6th through 12th grade. The activity will be held at Camp Dakota in Scotts Mills, and the cost is $25 per teenager. The bus will be leaving the church at 12.30 p.m. and returning at 4 p.m. Every teenager must have a permission form signed by their parents, so be sure to pick one up at the welcome desk. Don't miss the special Sunday morning service on September 4th, where we'll hear Pastor Justin Lehman share his vision with us. Mark your calendars for events coming up in the next few months. Grandview's 38th anniversary service on September 11th, Tailgate Sunday on September 25th, Pumpkin Sunday on October 2nd, and Truck or Treat on October 30th. Did you know that you can help support Grandview by shopping at Fred Meyer and on Amazon? To set up community rewards on the Fred Meyer app, simply log into your account from your phone or computer. Click on the menu icon in the top right corner of your screen. Then locate the rewards tab. Now select Community Rewards. From there, you can search for Grandview Baptist Church and press Enroll. That's it. Now every time you use your Fred Meyer card, the company will donate money to Grandview Baptist Church. To sign up on Amazon, click on the menu icon in the bottom right-hand corner of the screen. 
Now click on the Settings drop-down menu and select Amazon Smile. Search for Grandview Baptist Church and then select our church in Beaver Creek from the West. Now every purchase you make will give back to supporting the work of Christ in our area. If this is your first or second time here, we want to answer your questions and get to know you. Please fill out a Connect card in the pew in front of you and bring it to guest services as you exit the auditorium. We would love to meet you and you will receive a gift card. Have a great week and we'll see you Wednesday night at 7. Well, I messed up there. I was going to mention the family requested a song that was sung many years ago when the Brute, when Don Bruton got baptized, and that was "Step Out into the Water, Way Down a Little Deeper," and that's all the words I know of that song. But uh, the cathedrals sang that many years ago. And so that's what that music was. God, pl- try to play that one more time so we can hear that. It's time we the people stand up for what is right. It's time we squared our shoulders back and raise our swords to fight. For the Bible is my weapon and the spirit is my shield. The church needs more of its members to be workers in the field. Step into That's what I wanted to hear. Wait out a little bit deep. A little deeper. Wet your feet in the water of his love. Okay, that's good. Okay, good. <laughs> okay. So for all of you Southern Gospel fans, that, that, was, that was there for you. Uh, I don't mind someone making a request like that. We're going to go ahead and uh, have a short business meeting, if you don't mind, rather than dismiss and then let five minutes go by. Uh, the Bible admonishes us in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 40, uh, let all things be done decently in order. And so that was the marching orders of the local New Testament church. Everything was done properly. And as a church, we want to make sure that we always do things properly. Uh, one thing about um, um, Jeremy Malucci's ministry among us as administrative pastor, he makes sure that in every little detail, we want to follow the letter of the law and that uh, how we handle finances, how we do this, how we do that. And he's always, always very, very careful to make sure that we're doing what's decent and in order. Uh, rendering unto Caesar the things that are Caesar and unto the Lord the things that are the Lord. And that's important because that speaks of our testimony. And you might not know it, but in this area,